Welcome back to Adventure Calls. You're listening to part one of a two-part series called Taken Down by Tikal. This first experience happened to me 20 years ago, in the year 2001, during Semana Santa, or Holy Week, in Guatemala. Stay tuned for part two, which happens 10 years later, on a visit to the same Mayan ruins. I tell these stories as a part of the Adventure Recall shows. If you've ever been scared to take a risk because you wonder what might happen, I'm what might happen. See, I'm a walking worst-case scenario, and anything you're worried about happening has probably happened to me throughout my 15 years of living abroad. And yet, I'm still here. I've lived to tell these stories in part to share this message. Rather than fear what might happen, I would say fear what might not happen if you don't take the leap you're dreaming about. Fear regret. See pain, embarrassment, struggle, you're going to feel that in life no matter where you live, no matter what you do. So if you're hearing the whisper of a bigger life, or a simpler life, or a different life, follow it. Might you, say, get rammed by a cow? Or offend a 70-year-old grandmother in her own kitchen? Or get deathly ill twice in 10 years at a Mayan ruin? Yes. Yes, you might. But the risk is worth it. Follow your call to adventure, no matter what. And now, let's kick off Taken Down by Tikal, Part 1. Little pink tablets. You know, the kind you can chew? My stomach. It's killing me. I speak plenty of Spanish for this woman to understand me, but I can't seem to make myself clear. I'm exhausted, dehydrated, and there's a thick fog of incense filling the air between us. She looks at me with a blank, apathetic stare. Pepto-Bismol? I go for the brand name. Maybe it's the same brand here. You know, Pepto-Bismol? I try it in a Spanish accent. Pepto-Bismol? I see Pepto. She understands me. Si, si, Pepto, Pepto-Bismol, I say. Yes, estamos muy enfermas. We're very sick, I tell her. If I give you money, would you please help us by going to the pharmacy and getting us some Pepto-Bismol? I know, she says. Everything's closed. It's Semana Santa. Plus, I can't leave the front desk. I am absolutely crushed. It has taken every ounce of energy to get the receptionist to understand me. And the pharmacies aren't even open? I guess it makes sense. It is Semana Santa, and I am in the most popular place in the Western Hemisphere to experience it. I don't know what I was expecting, but I should have known it wasn't going to be business as usual. As usual, I have leapt before I looked, depending entirely on my ability to figure it all out as I go. I'm a 20-year-old junior in college on an extended study abroad experience in Costa Rica. I was meant to only stay one semester and return to my college in the States. But this whole experience is just too life-changing, too epic to just wrap up after four months. Luckily, my best friend Tracy, also a part of the study abroad program, couldn't imagine going back either. So we called our parents, mine in Illinois, hers in Arkansas, and tell them all the reasons we want to stay. They buy it. 
And so we both took a semester off from our universities and keep living with our host families in the city of Aradia in Costa Rica's Central Valley instead. Studying abroad changed the course of my life. If I hadn't loved every minute of that semester, I wouldn't have extended. And if I hadn't extended, I wouldn't have signed up for advanced Spanish lessons at a language school in San Jose. Had I not signed up there, I wouldn't have met my beautiful teacher, Juan Jose, a Guatemalan, who recommended this trip to his home country to me. And this trip is about to change my future more than I can even understand. Tracy and I book a hotel last minute, and we can only get a room, any room, for three days in Antigua. The old colonial capital of Guatemala is a small city of less than 50,000 people. That surges to almost one million visitors during this one week. We were lucky to get a room at all. So in order to make the most of the trip, we decided to spend the first three days in the Mayan ruins of Tikal in northern Guatemala. Tracy and I hop aboard a long-haul bus and travel for three days and two nights up the Pan-American Highway through the northwest of Costa Rica, crossing the land border to Nicaragua, rolling into El Salvador, and finally into Guatemala early on the third morning. Hour by hour, day after day, we pass hundreds of roadside palapas, or shacks with roofs made of palm leaves, and out of which stout women with long braids hop onto our still-moving bus to offer us fruits and sandwiches, cookies and soda, as we roll through the outskirts of their towns. We pass an endless chain of volcanoes and mountains all along the highway. This road leads all the way up through Mexico, California, Oregon, and Washington. The entire way we are clearly rolling north above a line where two tectonic plates constantly collide to create volcanoes and mountains. Each night, we stop at a hotel in a capital city, first Managua, Nicaragua, then in San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador. Tracy and I play cards, drink local beers, and sample a variety of local chips. During the day, we mostly eat things with beans and cheese, and someone is always selling us banana bread. Early on that third morning, we leave San Salvador, get to the border, disembark into the morning twilight for passport control, and I get my first visa stamp for Guatemala. Back on board, passengers are all abuzz now, wide awake, ready to get to Guatemala City. We change buses at the bus station there and continue up to Flores, the small peninsula town just outside of Tikal, where our hostel is located. This is one of those buildings that, while technically finished, it's just cinder block on cinder block on cinder block, with cinder blocks still lying in piles on the side of the building that will sit there for years. Inside the room, you get vinyl tile floors and exposed cinder block walls with a metal door and a lock that echoes when you leave for the day. Truth be told, the beds are relatively comfortable. There's a small balcony, and there's a private bathroom with an electric shower head for warm water and although there's a squeaky aluminum door to the bathroom, this $10 a night room is actually all we need and feels kind of luxurious for a Central American backpacker. The next morning, we head to Tikal, bright and early. Tracy and I are so obsessed with seeing whatever legit is 
So we don't need to hire a guide. We just get to the site around sunrise, buy tickets, and spend the day wandering around inside. This means we miss a lot of information about Tikal. Tikal is an ancient Mayan temple complex in the rainforest of northern Guatemala. It's a complex, meaning it's not just one temple, but several over a massive area of jungle. It was probably built in the first century AD, but it's really known to have flourished between the years of 200 and 850 AD. Then, no one knows why, it was abandoned. No one knows when either. The temples and ruins are unbelievably sophisticated. The temple called Temple 4 is the first skyscraper of the Americas, the tallest pre-Columbian structure in the hemisphere before the Spanish arrived. Now we came for the mystical Mayan ruin vibe, but it was the animals that take us by surprise here. We see toucans, wild turkeys, and howler monkeys in the trees as we trek across the forest floor in quiet spaces between temples. That's how we spend the day. We climb a ruin, see a parrot, climb another ruin, see monkeys. And there are relatively few tourists that morning, so we have a lot of the day to ourselves. The sun shines through the treetops, and it's so quiet. We lay on our backs on the stone, and I drift off to sleep. We both do. Until the sounds of gentle breeze and bird calls become the sounds of scuttling feet on the leafy forest floor. My eyes pop open, and I nearly fall off the stone as I sit up to see dozens of long, bushy tails up in the air, now scampering away from me in a group. They look like a bunch of raccoons, or anteaters, or maybe monkeys on the ground. But it's a pack of coatis, an animal I had never heard of until that moment, moving along past us, noses to the ground, in search of food. Tracy and I don't sit down to a formal lunch, mostly because we're technically lost the whole time without a guide and can't find a restaurant. But we buy bottles of water and snacks from vendors that we meet along the way. Back in Flores that evening, Tracy and I make it a point to head to a more gringo-y restaurant, as we so ignorantly put it, where we can get a salad that says it was prepared in purified water. We both feel like human garbage cans, having only consumed chips and soda and beer and bread for the past days now. We order salads and tea, and I read aloud from the Lonely Planet Guide about all that we missed or misunderstood at Tikal that day while we wait for our food. We are sitting outside the restaurant, at blue plastic Pepsi-branded tables, on blue plastic Pepsi-branded chairs, watching the world go by as we eat. The whole time we're continuously commenting on how we finally got some roughage to, you know, get things moving. Oh, things get moving all right. That night, it hit slowly. Slowly, as in we're both fine for a while, and then suddenly we are both very much not okay. See, in Costa Rica, you can drink the water, eat vegetables without worrying too much about washing them with purified water. But in Guatemala, it's no joke. You can't drink the water, and salads are usually a no-no for foreigners. Well, we didn't realize that, and between the hollow cement walls and the loud echoes of the metal bathroom door, this night is really just a series of decreasing attempts to conceal the noise that we're both making as we take turns in and out of the luxurious private bathroom we splurged on. 
After a sleepless night of this turn-taking, and the next day spent bonding with each other in ways we never wanted to, we board the overnight bus back down to Guatemala City. At the time, it seemed like a great idea to save money on a hotel and take the bus overnight. With white knuckles and entirely empty bodies, Tracy and I board that night bus and manage, somehow, to sleep the entire way back to Guatemala City. And then we head on to our hotel in Antigua. Now, years later, when the story gets told, it will be much more heroic of me stepping down out of a chicken bus in Antigua and taking in the volcano called Agua looming dormant over the town, and the other called Fuego spitting out rocks, fire, and ash daily in the distance, and marveling at the indigenous locals wearing colorful bright trajes while interacting with towering sunburnt blonde Scandinavians on colonial cobblestone streets and just knowing in my gut, I belong here. None of this is untrue, but these realizations likely happen in layers over the course of the three days we're there. Because this first day in Antigua, we limp through the streets in search of our hotel, like Uma Thurman after she digs herself out of the grave and kills Bill. People from around the world stand shoulder to shoulder, packed on every street we turn down, waiting, watching, eating, drinking, celebrating Holy Week. But sounds are so distorted in my dehydrated state of desperation and exhaustion, and the fog of incense is so thick in the air, that this walk is haunting as we hunt for our hotel to lay down as quickly as humanly possible. Somehow, we find it. And so, we spend the first full day and night in our colonial hotel, wishing for Pepto-Bismol and eating saltine crackers. Our bodies start to come back to life, and the next day we find an open pharmacy and get the antibiotics we need to kill the enemy within. Finally, late that second day in Antigua, we're able to head out on wobbly legs into the streets for Semana Santa, There are three main aspects of what makes this so incredibly special to experience in Antigua. The carpets, known as alfombras, the processions, and the incense. The alfombras are carpets made only of sawdust. Intricate designs that are laid out in the streets honor and welcome the processions. These colorful carpets line every block. Some depict religious scenes, while others integrate Mayan traditions or reference Pachamama, or Mother Earth. It can take months to plan these incredible works of art, and then days or even just hours to quickly create them. But it only takes minutes for the procession passing through the street to completely obliterate them. The processions involve hundreds of humans carrying massive floats on their shoulders, lined up underneath them like centipede legs. Each wears the same costume, black or purple gowns and hats, depending on what's being celebrated. And when they all walk along the float, they sway back and forth and back and forth, bearing the weight of the float on their shoulders together. Scenes from the Bible are recreated atop the float in such exaggerated expression with people and animals as large as a Texas roadside attraction. The entire experience is like Catholic street theater meets a giant wax museum where every person in town is involved in the play. 
and the incense. Hundreds of people carried lanterns with thick streams of incense pouring out alongside the processions. The incense creates such a mood that it's really its own character. It's so thick you can chew it. The smell is so distinct, it stays in your clothes, even in your furniture, for weeks after. That day, Tracy and I stand with our backs up against the mustard yellow building and watch as one procession passes by so slowly. Back and forth they sway. A 20-foot-tall Jesus, laying down sort of nailed to the cross, slowly advancing through the streets. This all began when the Spanish brought their Catholic tradition with them in 1524. And 500 years later, Antigua is home to one of the most sought-after and elaborate celebrations in the world. I'm struck by how deeply personal this is to all those who carry these floats, how devoted these Catholics are to the stories of Jesus suffering for their sins. But having just come down from Tikal, I'm more tuned in to the onlookers dressed in colorful indigenous clothing that so many Guatemalans wear daily. How proud one could be to be made up of Mayan heritage, one of the most advanced civilizations in the history of the Americas, one of groundbreaking astronomers and mathematicians, and yet how solemnly devoted they seem to the Bible. This duality, but complexity, the way that my five senses have been called in at full force for days on end, I just know that I have to come back to Antigua, but not to visit. I know that I have to live here. And Tracy knows it too, even though it takes us days to overcome the amoebas in our bellies that we got at Tikal. Well, a little over a year later, Tracy and I do live here. We share a house with a Norwegian man, a German woman, another American woman, a Canadian man, and the owner, a Salvadorian interior decorator, and her dog, Tiara. I'll end up living here for two years. During those two years, though, that's not when I was taken down by Tikal for a second time. That would happen ten years later, and I would get much sicker for much longer. But that's next time on Taken Down by Tikal, Part 2. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adventure Calls. If you like what you heard, head over to Apple Podcasts and give it a good rating or review. If you're feeling really inspired to move abroad, pick up a copy of my book, How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do. I take my 15 years experience living and working abroad and distill it down into 300 pages of the step-by-step tips and information you'll need to make your move. Pick up a copy of How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do on Amazon today.